Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. God in His throne room in heaven where there is no sickness, where there is no death, where there's no quarrel, where there's no argument, and we will be together. If you know Christ is your Savior, Josh, you and I, can you imagine seeing and seeing God face to face? Not through this cloud darkly, but we get to see Jesus face to face, and you and I will be standing. Maybe, maybe we'll be in proximity. You'll probably be a whole lot closer than I will to the throne, but that idea that we will be able to say to Jesus, you are holy. You are holy, and we'll be together thinking, because heaven is not a make-believe fairy tale. Heaven is real, and the Word of God is true, and we have a Savior who lives forever, and His name is Jesus Christ, and He sure is holy. Thank you so much for singing today. You encouraged me. I was going to get up here and say something funny or cute, but um, our God is a good God. He's just a wonderful God, and I'm so thankful I get to serve Him. If you have your Bibles, would you open them up? to the book of Genesis. And today we're going to be in our second part of a study that we started last week entitled Signs and Signals. And as a way of review, if you'll remember over here, we said that God gives signs. We said that God gives signals in our life so that we can know his will, so that we can accomplish his purposes. And we said that God will give us different directions on what we should and what we shouldn't do. And we said sometimes God will give us red lights, which means what? Oh, good. You're with me so far. You learned that last week in church, and I'm so glad that you know. Red means stop, and then sometimes God will give us a green light, and that green light means what? Good. Now, let's see if you remembered anything from last week. Sometimes we get those yellow lights, and those yellow lights mean what? (laughs) Okay, some of you skipped church last week or weren't paying attention, but what the yellow light means, it's time to make a decision. What am I going to do here? I had one wife tell me this week, my husband's been making the wrong decisions all week long when he sees the yellow lights. And that, (laughs) I don't know if that's fine or not. I just want you to remember, every time you see a yellow light, God has put into our life times when we should make a decision. Is this the right thing? And then we gave nine questions on to ask, is this the right thing I should do? Is this the right step that I should take? Is this a place I'm supposed to go? Today, we want to take attention away from the traffic signal, and we want to look at a sign, a sign that helps us to know how we're supposed to move forward and what we're supposed to do in relationship to this journey or this adventure that God's called us on. When you see this sign, what does this sign mean to you? That's right, it means to merge. The Bible says this in Genesis chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. As we look at the life of Abram, that God, as Abram departed, and the Lord spoken unto him, that Lot went with him, and Abram was 70 and 5 years old when he departed out of Aaron. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered. And the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth into the land of Canaan, unto the land of Canaan they came. Genesis chapter 12 is one of the most consequential books, uh, chapters in the Bible, because it shows us something that would affect your and my life even today. 
the call of God upon Abraham. God says to Abraham, through you, all nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Through you, I'm going to make your seed as the sky, the stars in the sky and as the sands of the sea. You are going to be blessed. And through you, the Messiah is going to come. The one who can save the world from their sin. God gives this amazing promise and a new adventure to Abram. But in this adventure, he's going to merge or align his journey with other people, much like we do today. We understand what this means, that if we're at an intersection or coming from an on-ramp onto, a, um, onto the freeway or we're coming off-ramp into a regular street, that there's going to be an alignment, two things coming into one. Now, that's pretty simple, but sometimes merging's not as easy as it should be. Hello, Summerlin roundabouts near the hospital. It's not as easy as it should be. When they first put those in about 17, 18 years ago, I remember coming up to like, what in the world is this? We are not from Western Europe. We are Americans. We don't even know what the three lights mean, but we, now you're putting this into the place of what we're supposed to do. I remember the first time getting on that roundabout, first of all, being scared. What in the world's coming? And then I think I was on a circle for about 20 minutes, just going around and around. Don't know when I'm supposed to get off, when I'm supposed to get on. Because merging is taking two lanes and putting them into one area. In our life, God gives us people that we are to align with. God gives us friends. He gives us families. He gives us partners that we're supposed to align with. And every single one of us in here have an adventure that God wants us to live. He has a call upon your life. It doesn't matter what your job is. If your job is to drive truck, you have a call of God upon your life. If your, if your job is to uh, drive for Amazon, you have a call of God upon your life. Interesting thing happened to me with Amazon this week. My mom was in town on Tuesday, and my mom made cowboy cookies for us. And she made, my mom makes these beautiful cowboy cookies, and my family and I were in Arizona watching our girls play a volleyball game that uh, was a tragic defeat, but we drove to Arizona to watch our girls play in this volleyball game, and we were driving back, and my dad called, and he said, where are you at? I said, oh, we're driving back from Arizona. He said, I left you some of your mom's cowboy cookies on your doorstep. And we have a rocking chair. He moved the rocking chair in front of the doorstep, and he said into the ring camera, here are the cookies. And he left them there, and he drove off. We got there about 8.30 at night. We're like, what in the world happened? Where's our cookies? Looking all around for our cookies. We went back to the ring camera, and the Amazon driver... Amazon driver came by uh, probably about 30 or 45 minutes after my dad did, came by and he dropped the thing off and he looked at the chair and on it said, uh, on the, it's like, here's your cookies, we love you. <laughs> First of all, I'm a little suspect about how close Brianna and the Amazon driver are becoming. <laughs> <laughs> so on the rocking chair, he, he looks, and he picks him up, he looks at the ring camera and says, thanks, and there went my, there went my cowboy cookies. <laughs> I mean, for crying out loud, they make enough, they don't have to steal my cookies as well. But he's got a call of God on his life, and it's not to steal my cookies, but he did. And you've got a call of God on your life. 
And in the call of God upon your life and the call of God upon my life, it's important that we're on the right lane, we understand the signals, but there are going to be people in our life that God brings into alignment with our life. That's the purpose of today's lesson. Today we want to talk about merging and how we find people to ride on this journey with us. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I pray that you'd be with this time together. May it be an encouragement to these, my friends, and as we explore your word and see the examples set in the past, I pray that you would help us to make right choices in this important matter of who goes with us on our journey, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you to see, if you're following along in your bulletin this morning, is that you are never alone. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior this morning, say yes. yes. If you've known Christ as your Savior, that means this. There was a time in your life when you recognized, I'm a sinner. Because I'm a sinner, I'll never be good enough to get to heaven. But Jesus, God in human flesh, died on a cross to pay for my sins. He was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he is God and everything he said was true. And if I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a wonderful truth that heaven is available to anyone who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So the Bible tells us this, when I put my trust in Christ, I am never alone in this journey. I am never alone. In the city of Las Vegas, the 2010 census said that only 8% of the people that live in Las Vegas were born in Las Vegas. Isn't that an interesting statistic? About one out of every 12 people, only one, that's totally unique. You go to Minneapolis, people have been there forever, don't you know? If you go down south, people have been in Atlanta, they've been there forever, y'all. But here in Las Vegas, we are so divergent. We have people from all over different places. And so in a place like this where you can be alone with all the busyness of the strip and activity and a million tourists a week coming in, people can feel alone. But I'm here to remind you of this. If you know Christ is your Savior, you are never alone. There's not been a moment this week where you've been by yourself. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 20, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You didn't go any place this week that Jesus wasn't with you. Isn't that a great truth? That God is always with you. He cares for you. He desires to be with you. He wants to know you, participate in your daily activities. He is with you always. Christ is with you always. The Bible says this, and he's not a person who doesn't understand what it's like to be a human being. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is our high priest. And in reference to who he is in Hebrews, the Bible says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Jesus Christ knows you. He desires to be with you. He wants to have relationship with you. And he is with you always if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful truth. But not only is Christ with you, but the Bible tells us this, that he sent the comforter. The comforter is another name for the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, verse 26, the Bible articulates this when it says, but the comforter, here's the parenthetical thought, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. 
This is beautiful. When I live my life, when I live out the adventure that God has called me to live, when I go down the highway or the lane or the avenue, you pick whichever word you want. As I'm living my life, Christ goes with me, but the Bible also says that the Holy Ghost goes with me, and he's called the Comforter. Now, this is very insightful about the name of the Holy Ghost here. The word Comforter is the idea that he gives a peace. I heard one pastor say it this way. When you have attention, give attention to the tension. Let me say that again. When you have attention, give attention to the tension. Because when you're living for the Lord, when you are living in relationship with the Lord, the Holy Spirit of God will speak to you. He will guide you into all truth. Here it says that he will bring back to remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. So in a time of anxiety, in a time of struggle, uncertainty, give attention to the tension and let the Holy Spirit feel it. So if you're about to make a bad choice, the Holy Spirit will not comfort you in that bad choice. Isn't that good? If you're about to do something foolish, the Holy Spirit doesn't give you peace if you're about to do a foolish thing. But the comforter, have you ever had to take a step of courage or be bold or witness, or do something hard but was right to do, what do you get? You get the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. The Christian life is not to be a solo Rambo, I can take on the world type of mission. The Christian life is lived in tandem with the power of God through the comfort of the Holy Ghost. You are never alone. In this situation, God has given Abram a person to go with him and that's his companion. His companion is named Sarai. His, the name Sarai itself means that she was his princess. Isn't that beautiful? Every time he called out her name, Sarai, he was saying, princess. And I don't know if she sang or talked to little birds or mice. I don't know if she did any of those things, but she was the princess of Abraham. And their marriage was a model marriage. He was 75, she was 65 years old, and more than likely they had been married for decades at the time of this call from God upon their life. And yet, in this relationship, God has called them, you're going to be the father of a great nation. You're going to have children, and you're going to have descendants that bless all the earth. This is going to be you, Abraham. And you're going to be with Sarah on this. Your princess is going to go with you. She's going to be your partner in everything that you do. A marriage is not intended to be a he and a she, but it's intended to be a har, our. Everything we do, we do together. We are living our lives together. It's no longer this and this over here. It's all together. One of the things that I enjoy about doing weddings is the, uh, the unity ceremony that sometimes people will do. I've seen folks do unity ceremonies where they light a candle. If you've seen that, say yes. Like, here's my candle, here's your candle, our candle. I think that's cool. I saw somebody do a lock the other day where they, they put this lock together and then they threw away the key. I'm like, oh, that, that's pretty good. I saw somebody make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich together and they said, this is, we are unified together, peanut butter and jelly. And the two, you can't separate the jelly from the peanut butter. I'm like, oh, that, that was kind of cute. But I like the sand one. Have you seen the sand one? 
where she takes the sand and he takes the sand and then they pour it in together. And if you, you, you mix it up, you can't pick the sands out. They're all just one sand together. You could say they're just a dirty mess, okay? <laughs> That's the way life is intended to be. Now, check out this, this relationship. And I want you to think about it in terms of these real people and your real relationship. Abraham is 75 years old. He's got wealth. He's accumulated some things. But in this life, God comes to him, and it doesn't say that God comes to them. It says God comes to him and says, you're going to go to this land that I tell you where to go. And um, don't go with your kindred. Don't go from, this, go from this country, and you're going to leave all of the comforts. The Bible says this. Check it out in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughter ye are as long as ye do well, and ye are not afraid with any amazement. Can you imagine how that conversation went? Hi, Sarah. How you doing, princess? Oh, hey, Abram. I missed you. Where you been all day? Funny thing. On my way home this afternoon, um, I was having a conversation with God. Oh, you were praying and meditating and, and uh, like you normally do? No, no, a little bit different today. What happened? God told me we're going to move. Oh, I've been looking. There's this very nice single-story ranch estate over here on the outskirts of Ur. Yeah, no, no. He told us to go to a different place. Like, we're going to move to Henderson? Nope, nope, nope. Where are we going to move? I don't know. You don't know? Right. So how will you know when you get there? God will tell me. God's going to tell you where we're supposed to go. So what should I pack? Probably everything, because we're not coming back here. For how long? Ever. <laughs> the Bible, look at what the scripture says. The Bible says, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham. That's an interesting word, the word obeyed. It's as if she said, okay. You ever seen somebody obey with a bad attitude? <laughs> if you have teenagers, you do. I need you to go do this. I always have to do it. Are you taking care of that? Yes, ma'am. It's so stupid. I can't believe I had to do it. You ever had that? That's not what Sarah does. Sarah says, okay, when do we need to leave? The moving camels will be here tomorrow. Well, they didn't have U-Haul, so. <laughs> if they did, it was like, U-Haul that, U-Haul that, U-Haul that. Now check this out. The Bible says, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, and look at it, calling him Lord. Okay, I trust you. Now that type of relationship is something that has to be nurtured and, and worked into. Sarah was an amazing woman of God, but Abraham must have been a great man of God as well. He didn't treat his princess with disdain. He treated her like a princess. He must have shown her so much love. He must have invested in her so much trust so that when Abraham walks in and says, we're moving tomorrow, says, okay, I trust you.
Isn't that, a, isn't that the kind of marriage that you want to have? A marriage where you value each other so greatly that you can work in tandem to where it's not like, what's your problem? What have you been doing? Well, God told me. God told me. And God said, I'm the boss of you. <clears throat> Is that the marriage that we see with Abram and Sarah here? No. You see, you see this wonderful synergy. And before you think that you could never have a marriage like this, notice what the scripture says at the end of the verse. As long as ye do well, whose daughters ye are. What that says is that my marriage should model this. This isn't just a fairy tale, far off thing that can never happen. Your marriage is intended to be like this to where the love and the investment and the value of a princess is so, so, so highly esteemed that she values her as a princess, as royalty, and treats her in such a way that she says, oh, you are a lord. You are my knight in shining armor. And it's not a far-off fairy tale place. The Bible tells us that this is the type of marriage we should all be striving to enjoy. You can enjoy that type of marriage. That merging comes together. Now, how's that happen? Check it out. Because Sarah was not just a princess, she wasn't just his partner, but she was pious. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 11, the scripture says this, through faith also, <clears throat> Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Who is the him that had promised Sarah? Well, it wasn't Abram. It was God. So check this out. Abram was not a person who just had his own relationship with God. Sarah nurtured her relationship with God. She was able to partner with Abram in this relationship and in this grand adventure and this world-changing directive is able to come into her life because she is a princess. There's value that Abram's placed upon her because she is his partner, because of who she's married to. But I submit to you that there was going to be a relationship with God needed from Sarah in order to make this happen. Sarah had to have her own relationship with God, not just Abram, not just the circumstances, but she had a piety before God, so much so that she trusted who? Not Abram, she trusted him, faithful, who had made the promise. Men and women must have their own relationship with their God so that then they come together, there is a synergy, there is a power that works in a way that we could never understand in our own, but there is great strength. The Bible tells us in the book of Amos that a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And in a marriage relationship, there's intended to be a man who loves the Lord, a woman who loves the Lord. And when a man and a woman love the Lord, the power of God is able to infuse itself in such a powerful way. And that's what we see with Abram and Sarah's life. This isn't the story of Abram. This is a story of Abram and Sarah who have merged their lives together for the glory of Jesus Christ. Number two, as they navigate the adventure, we see that they go into an unfamiliar land. Look at verse number six of Genesis chapter 12. The Bible says this, and Abram passed through the land into the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Morah, and to the Canaanite, and the Canaanite was with them in the land. The thing I want you to understand is that God's called them out of their country, called them out of their kindred, taken them from their comfort, and they are in a place that is completely foreign to them. 
oftentimes God will remove us from that which is comfortable and he will jostle us into a position to where all we can say is God's doing this right now. Have you allowed yourself to ever be in an uncomfortable position so that you can know the will of God? Or have you allowed yourself to live in the lie of comfortability where we just go day after day after day after day becoming consumers of Amazon or an automobile agency or a utility company and we live our 60 or 70 or 80 years of life and we're just comfortable? Oftentimes, God will shake us up and put us in an unfamiliar land so that we can know his purposes in our life. And that's exactly what he's done with this merging couple. An unfamiliar land has brought them to a place where they have an unfiltered lens. When they get to the land of Canaan, in verse number seven, the Bible says, and the Lord appeared unto Abram. It's not until they get out of their kindred, out of their country, and out of their comfort that the Lord starts talking to them. And when the Lord meets with Abram, where? In Canaan land, the Bible says, the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Abram, look north. What do you see? Well, I see mountains and I see plains and I see valleys. Everything you see is yours. Look, look west. Everything is yours. Look east. Everything is yours. Look south. Everything is yours. This land is yours. And for the first time, Abram is able to see clearly. Do any of you in here wear glasses or corrective lenses? If you do, raise your hands. I'm wearing contacts right now. I've been wearing contacts since I was 17 years old. Because before that, this is what I looked like. Okay, I was this guy and I was wearing... My dad wore the same glasses from the time he was 23 to the time he was... Um, 68. <laughs> Almost he, that's like today. He's wearing the exact same glasses. My dad, if you want to know a model of consistency, that is David Tice. He's just doing the same thing and loving the Lord and doing the same thing. Well, when I was about 10 years old, we went and visited Alaska. And I saw Alaska, but I didn't know that I didn't see Alaska because I needed glasses. We took a trip to the doctor's office and the doctor said, you need, you need glasses. And he put the glasses on, and I remember walking out of the doctor's office. Some of you will remember this phenomenon. Remember walking out of the doctor's office and seeing the trees, but not just seeing the trees, seeing the leaves on the trees. How many blind people remember that? It's like, there are leaves on the trees. This is wonderful. So I was 10 years old, and I was wearing glasses. I would break my glasses every other week. My dad got me a pair of Rexpecs. If you want to see a funny-looking kid... Google Rex Specs, 1994. You remember them, John? They they weren't cool at all, were they? But I would wear these Rex Specs to go play basketball or football or whatever and get these Rex Specs. But these were the glasses that I wore. Josh and I, you'll notice, Josh and I are wearing the exact same glasses as my dad. (laughs) We affectionately call those Dave's Boys glasses. So anytime we see pictures of us from the the early 90s, we're like, there they are, Dave's boys. (laughs) Why are you guys wearing Dave's boys glasses? I was about 16, 17 years old when I realized Dave's boys glasses aren't cool. And I asked, please, let me get contacts. Josh, you can see I was trying to be cool there. Josh, he's still trying to be cool today. But there's that idea of, oh, I get to see. I can see. Oh, I can see. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 7. Abraham sees. And Abraham sees when he's 
out of his comfort, away from his kindred, and he is a place where he is in the uh, land that God has called him to. One of the things that's so good about just taking an hour, hour and a half each Sunday to go to church is you break away from what's going on in your fantasy football, what's happening in your work, what's going on with the kids. They're back there. They're in a safe environment. And Lord, what are you teaching me? Everyone needs that. But oftentimes you need more than an hour or two a week. You should have a daily time alone with God. Do you have a daily time with God? Do you ever build into your calendar a season where you might take an hour or two, maybe even a day, and just say, God, what do you want to do? Maybe you drive with your spouse and say, what are we doing this next year? As the school year comes, we've only got these kids for uh, 17, 18 years. What are we trying to accomplish with them? It's when you get out of the comfort, get away from the kindred, get away from that country, and God gives you a vision. What's the vision that God has for you? He has an unfiltered lens. It's not clouded by all the circumstances of Iran and Ur. It's him and his wife, and God says, look here, look here, look here, look here. It's all yours. Awesome. He gets an unfiltered vision of what God wants to do through him, and then he starts to live an unexpected life. Look at verse number eight. And he removed from thence into a mountain to the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east, and there he built an altar unto the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. Two things I want you to see. Number one, in an unexpected life where we are several times looking for that which is sensational. If, you are, if you're my age, everything had to be epic. It had to be extreme. It's extreme. <laughs> We're going to have extreme. We're going to have the X Games, and it's going to be extreme. Do the do. No fear. Okay? If you're my age, that was how we wanted to live the unexpected life. If you're a millennial, you lived the unexpected life by YOLO. YOLO, you only live once. Gen Z still trying to figure out what they're doing. If you're older than me, I don't know what you were doing. But we have this, you're going to live this, you're going to live this, oh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great ever. This is the unexpected life. This is how you live the life God wants you to live. The Bible tells us this, following the model of Genesis 12, 8, you go to work. You are literally the ambassador of Jesus Christ where you work. If you're a student, you're the ambassador of Jesus Christ there. So you live as an ambassador of Jesus Christ wherever you work. If you're at a hospital, you're a nurse. You're a tech. You're an admin. You're the ambassador of Jesus Christ. You work. What was the great thing that Abraham did? Pitched his tent. Had to find a water source. Had to find a place to take care of everybody and take care of his stuff. He, he literally just went to work. The Bible tells us this at the end of verse number 8, that he worshipped. He worshipped. So in life, if I want to live the life, I go to work and I worship our Lord. Because everything I do in my life is lived in relationship to who God is. You are the champion of Jesus Christ. You are his ambassador. When you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow, when you're involved in your activities tomorrow, you are literally God's spokesman at that place. It's no menial calling. It's a high calling. And God's placed his name upon you. So do your work. You've, live your life in worship to him and enjoy the wonder. There are so many Tuesday afternoons, Wednesday mornings, and Thursday nights that went on with Abram's life. Tuesday mornings. It's Tuesday! What are we doing? We're going to go get water. 
It's Wednesday. We got to take care of the cattle. It's Thursday. What are we going to do? And many of our weeks are filled with Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays where it doesn't seem like anything's happening, but when we live our life in worship to the Lord, he creates a wonder that we could never, ever, ever manufacture. You live the life that God's called you to live. Well, I want to see something great. I want to see something big. I want to find new heights. I want to explore new depths. Okay, then do good on your algebra test tomorrow. And you finish your project that you were assigned by your boss three weeks ago, and you crush that project. And you be the best. You be the best at whatever you do. You be the absolute best, and you live your life in glory to the Lord. Lord, I, I don't know how to fix this solution. Lord, you can do it. Lord, would you let me do this? You live your life in worship to the Lord and explore the wonder. Oh, God will do things that you could never seem to, you, you could never think would happen. Work. Worship, wonder, that unexpected life. The Bible says, And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. What was the big thing that happened? He was just living his life in work, in worship, and in wonder. That's how God works. He takes our normal Tuesdays and our normal Thursdays, and he uses them for his glory. This is what's fascinating. The last one is this. Point three, Abram neglected advice. This is so important. In a life where we are called to merge with other people, God sets up rules about merging. It's messed up when people don't know the rules about merging, isn't it? Don't you hate it when somebody's supposed to yield but they stop? (laughs) Isn't that the worst? It it doesn't say stop, it says yield! You gunky! (laughs) Just don't stop, there's not a stop sign! Go! Guild! And don't you hate the people that are like, they're the timid ones? <laughs> like they're waiting for the red seat apart before they get into the lane of traffic. The miraculous hand of God has to move their Volvo so that you can able to get where you need to go. That's not how God works. There are rules. There are rules to merging. And there are rules to relationships that God desires for us to adopt as well. In those rules, if we neglect those rules, we're going to mess up. Rule number one, God says there's rules concerning our relationships with the lost. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, the Bible says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I'll be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The Bible tells us here that there are rules about merging The first one is with the lost. If you know Christ as your Savior, God says, don't you mix up that lane with a lost person. Don't enter into a partnership. Don't get involved with somebody who does not know me as as their Savior. 
For a Christian, your ultimate purpose, your prime directive is to follow Jesus Christ and live in obedience to him. A lost person has no clue about what that is. And so God says, don't align yourself with somebody who is lost. Don't merge with the lost person. Well, that's, that's point number one. Rule number two is this, concerning the lewd. The Bible says, but now I've written unto you, not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother... Well, we went to VBS together. We were in youth group together. We went to Christian school together. And I, they, they know Jesus, but now they're living with their girlfriend. Now they're practicing homosexuality. Now they're getting drunk every weekend. Now they're in a business where they're taking advantage of people. Now they're, they're worshiping other gods. But they're, but they're Christians. Notice what the Bible says. But now I've written unto you not to keep company. What does not to keep company with? The word not to keep company means don't have buffalo wild wings. Not to keep company means don't go to birthday parties. Not to keep company means don't just hang out. Now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother. Well, we went to VBS. We went to Christian school. We went to Awana together. We were sparks for Jesus. We did all those things together. Okay? If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator. Oh, they're sleeping around. Either heterosexually or homosexually, they're sleeping around. They're covetous. They're, they're constantly looking, oh, I want to get that, I want to get that, I want to get that. You know, if we do this together, we can shave a few points off this, we can make a little bit extra money if they're covetous. They're an idolater, they're worshiping a false god. They're a railer. They're a railer. They say horrible things about people. They're a drunkard. They go out on Friday nights, they just get wasted. Saturday night, they're getting wasted. You want to come out? We're going to go drinking. We're going to get wasted. No. I'm an extortioner. I take advantage. I steal from people. The Bible says, with such a one, know not to eat. Isn't that clear? Like, that's, that's clear. It's what the Bible says. You don't even go, well, we went to Chick-fil-A. Nope. Nope. Doesn't matter. <laughs> don't even go. You don't participate. You don't merge. Isn't this the rule? You don't merge with people who are living. Well, we went to VBS together. You don't merge your life with people that are participating in that which is wrong. Number three, the third rule for Abraham was concerning Lot. Look at the explicit commands. It's on the screen for you. In verse number one, the Lord said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred. The word kindred means a relative or a descendant of the same and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. Now, I don't know why Abram chose to take Lot. I would think that it's perhaps because his brother had passed away, and Lot was kind of in the care of Abraham. Abraham's oldest brother passed away. We believe that Abraham was the, uh, the youngest of Terah's sons, and so he inherited the responsibility to take care of the family lineage. And so Abram takes Lot, and he's caring for Lot. And when, when grandpa dies, when Lot's grandpa Terah dies, he's like, well, I'll take care of you. And so perhaps he felt a family obligation to take care of Lot. Perhaps he, he felt some, some um, affection towards, fault, for, towards Lot. I like Lot. I like him a lot. <laughs> he's, he's my nephew, and I enjoy his company. We're friends, and we're, we're pals. But God said, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred. You can't. So we could, we could 
subjectively reason why he did or didn't take Lot, but the Bible tells us that he violated God's command. In verse number four, the Bible says, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Oh. Perhaps his responsibilities made him feel like it was necessary to break the rules. I read this quote this week. Believers must remember that their first allegiance is to God and not family. Ooh, that one hits hard, doesn't it? So let me just read it again. Believers must remember that their first allegiance is to God and not family. Now, in that context, sometimes we violate the rules. We violate the rules because if we violate the rules, maybe, maybe me doing wrong here will help something get better in the future. So I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to compromise this, and I'm going to compromise this ideal, I'm going to compromise this moral, I'm going to break this rule, but it's because I just feel an obligation. It's because I care for him. I don't want her to feel bad. I don't want to push her away from God. This quote hit me hard. Misguided souls behave as if they are kinder and more sensitive to people's feelings than God is. You cannot break one of God's rules even with noble intent or a gracious heart, you cannot break one of God's rules and feel like you are caring for that person more. You will never care for a lost person more than God does. How do I know? Because there are no nail scars in your hands. Nobody cares for a lost person more than God does. And you can't break the rules, and I can't break the rules that God places up. Even, well, I just want them to know I love them, and I don't want to seem hard, and I don't want to. With all of that, I cannot break the rules that God's put in place. And to think that I can be more sensitive to people's feelings than God is, is a lie. God doesn't care. You cannot care for a saved person making poor choices in a greater way than God does. For crying out loud, a saved person who's even making poor choices right now, Lord Jesus is in heaven preparing a place for him or for her. He cares for her. He cares for him. But violating the rules is not the way to bring them to Christ. How do you know? Because Lot demonstrates that. When Abraham violated the merging rules, he only brings in a wreck. The Bible tells us this, it never turned out good for Abraham. Every interaction from Lot, with Lot from Genesis chapter 14 to the end of the Bible is bad. And maybe he brought him because I have a paternal instinct, I have a care, he's a family, this is a good relationship, I can, I can work this out. Every single time Lot is mentioned in the Bible, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. It's bad for Abraham, it's bad for Sarah, it's bad for the mission, but finally, it's bad for Lot. Look what the Bible says. This is the last verse recorded about Lot in the Bible. Deliver just Lot. This is, this is the epitaph of Lot's life. Delivered just Lot. Lot is a Christian. Lot's in heaven today. Vexed with the vili- filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man, Lot, who was saved, shouldn't have been with Abraham in the promised land, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, check this out, vexed his righteous soul from day to day. This is the last recorded verse about Lot. 
Abraham, who in my opinion brings Lot along because it would just be the best thing to do, he literally ruined Lot's life by breaking the merging rules. And all of Lot's life, every day, day after day after day after day, Lot lived a miserable existence. If you read the last few verses of his life, you're just like, oh my goodness, this is, I, we should ban this. This is not something to even be read. Because Lot participated in some of the most heinous, wicked, egregious sins in the Bible. He's in heaven. He's in heaven. The Bible says his righteous soul. This righteous man who has a just, uh, a just soul. Oh, this righteous man, he lived a miserable life. Why? Because Abraham violated the merging laws. And if we don't obey the laws of merging, it always ends in a wreck. You're never alone. There's a new adventure that God has for you, but you cannot neglect the advice of Scripture, just as I can't. And in this adventure that God's called them, the signs and signals, the signs and signals of merging are this. You've got to follow the rules. You've got to understand the responsibilities. If not, we end up in regret. So follow those merging rules and align yourself with the principles of God's word so you can see his adventure unfold in your life. Father, thank you for your word and the time together today. I pray that you would use it for your glory. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.